ultimately being able to bring in a lot of programmatic aspects into Bitcoin is what's happening today. And so, you know, those that are looking to build should, you know, really explore Bitcoin earnestly because it is that strongest base layer out there. Welcome back to Beyond the Price, a podcast from CoinPost that goes beyond the flashing numbers to explore how Bitcoin fits into the global economy and how real people and real companies are actually using it, especially in Asia. This is another Twitter space I did a while ago with Graham Krizik, founder and CEO of Voltage. Voltage offers Lightning Network infrastructure for companies and individuals. And if you don't remember, the Lightning Network is a way of sending cheap, instant payments of Bitcoin. Voltage makes it easy to participate in this network and even build business solutions on top of it without trusting anyone else to manage the Bitcoin. This space was recorded in March of this year and was originally titled, Is Bitcoin the Key to Web3? The background to this topic is that for the past few years, there's been an explosion of alternative cryptocurrencies to Bitcoin, abbreviated altcoins, claiming to offer something that Bitcoin didn't. Because these projects developed and made changes much more quickly than the Bitcoin protocol, and in fact because Bitcoin was designed to be resistant to change, many started to see Bitcoin as simply a digital version of gold, a pet rock as some people call it, without much innovation on top of it or change within it. But this past year we've seen a flurry of activity, first and foremost with the Lightning Network. Graham talks about some of the companies using Voltage to integrate Lightning into their business. For example, Thunder's mobile games, which are near and dear to me. And actually, they just had an exciting announcement at Bitcoin Amsterdam that could disrupt the online gambling industry, so that's good timing. We also talk about Noster, a new protocol for uncensorable communication. So far, the main application has been a Twitter-like social media experience, but the possibilities go way beyond that. This topic is also timely because Tokyo will actually host a Nostra conference this November 1 to 3. It's called Nostrasia. It's completely free and you can visit nostra.world to find out more. In fact, I expect to have the organizers on soon, so look out for that. Graham and I touch on even more that's happening in the Bitcoin space, like issuing other tokens or assets on the Bitcoin blockchain. We get into the debate of whether everything of value in crypto or Web3 will eventually end up on Bitcoin. Opinions are divided, but what I can say is that the perspective sure looks different now compared to a year ago. The beginning is a little technical, but bear with us, and I'm sure you'll have no trouble following along. As always, let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoy. Graham, welcome to the show. Hey, hello, good morning, I guess. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being here. So uh, we always just kick things off with some introductions. Uh, maybe you could introduce yourself to our audience, um, how you uh, came to Bitcoin, and uh, then how you came to start Voltage. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, so like you said, my name is Graham Krizik, founder and CEO of Voltage. Um, I guess starting with my personal journey, you know, I got into Bitcoin about 2012, um, really just was fascinated about it from a technology perspective, and then um, evolving on the technology, learning about all of the kind of uh, censorship resistant and like, I guess, liberty preserving aspects of Bitcoin. And so really interested in it, kept it as a hobby for a long time and um, ultimately got, you know, normie fiat job uh, as just a software engineer um, doing, you know, infrastructure uh, work for uh, a lot of different organizations. And then um, ultimately one day I just kind of got fed up with uh, uh, working in the fiat space. And I really wanted to work in Bitcoin full time. And so uh, that's when I kind of took the took a step back and really evaluated what are the opportunities out there for, you know, someone like myself. And um, I really saw I mean, I, I was very interested in Bitcoin, obviously. And then I saw the Lightning Network is this new and evolving thing that 
um, is sort of the up and coming. It seemed like it was, you know, the next thing for Bitcoin. And so I uh, tried to use it, found it uh, not very easy to use. Um, it was all like very challenging to kind of get up and running. And so I figured um, that's kind of what I had the idea for Voltage of creating a, a provider that makes it easy to just um, interact with the Lightning Network and Bitcoin um, in a very uh, normal way compared to, you know, the traditional fiat systems and whatnot. So uh, that's what Voltage ultimately is. It's a, an infrastructure provider for Bitcoin and Lightning. So we help you um, run Lightning nodes, uh, operate uh, liquidity, observability tools, all the things that you really need to uh, integrate Bitcoin and Lightning into your products and services, you know, we have a solution for. So giving a comparison to sort of like uh, other areas of Web3 or crypto, sort of a similar to like an alchemy or a block daemon-esque um, uh, platform. Oh, wow. You uh, probably know more than me on that front. I don't, I'm not too familiar with those platforms. Um, but uh was your, I saw that you had uh, kind of a background in uh, AWS. Um, did that also inform like why you started a uh, cloud infrastructure provider for for the Lightning Network? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's been um, as I've worked in you know my the the fiat jobs and my you know kind of my previous roles before Voltage was I was always focused uh, specifically on the infrastructure. So I was. Uh, cloud engineer at Salesforce, as well as, you know, some other startups before that. And so I've always been in the kind of cloud space my whole career. And that's what led me to, uh, I guess, have a, I guess, a unique um, value uh, opportunity to create uh, Voltage for essentially bringing this cloud uh, movement into a space that really, I think, frankly, needed it and was uh, lacking a lot of these like cloud-based tools. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we should take a step back because I think probably a lot of people are not too familiar with the Lightning Network. And uh, I think on the one hand, there are some pretty key differences between the Lightning Network and, say, the Layer 2s that people are familiar with. Like, uh, let's see whether it's something like Polygon or, or Arbitrum. Generally, things that have their own token and uh, they achieve scaling in a particular way um but then also i think people don't realize like just how fast and uh easy the lightning network is when you actually use it so could you give like or do you have like a favorite way of explaining the lightning network to someone who's totally new yeah i mean yeah so it's a it's a great question so i guess like to to kind of answer the question of like what is the lightning network um so the lightning network is a layer two scaling solution on top of bitcoin like you mentioned and so um the way that it does that is is a, a network of what's called payment channels and so those are the payment channels are essentially two of two multi-sigs that are locked between two parties and with that you're able to transact across that multi-sig um essentially as many times as you want as fast as you can um and there's really no there's no global consensus uh the consensus layer is still bitcoin and so because there's no you know global consensus you can get sub second payments um there's no uh you only you and your counterparty need to uh kind of agree on the settlement of that payment and additionally you can do things like route through other participants in the network so you can you know pay to anyone inside of this network for very, very uh, low cost or virtually free costs in a lot of uh, a lot of scenarios. And you're able to do that in, you know, sub-second time. So it's really, um, you know, you think about these chains that are made specifically for like high transaction throughput, like Solana and whatnot. 
I mean, they're, uh, in my opinion, they're kind of coming at it in the wrong way of uh, you still have to have this global, you know, this global blockchain for those systems. And it uh, ultimately, you know, comes with a lot of bloat, a lot of centralization, all of those things. Um, so Bitcoin kind of took a different approach of uh, keeping this very sound base layer and developing a layer two on top of it that isn't consensus driven um, and that, you know, we still have consensus uh, in that layer one. And so, um, so with that, so it's very different than a lot of like the Ethereum layer twos and that it's um, focused on really uh, not uh, duplicating um, a lot of the, the consensus layer. And it also ultimately um, lets you get a lot of these benefits that other layer twos are trying to trying to create or other even layer ones in this um, programmable uh, aspect of trying to actually create a lot of pro, uh, programmatic aspects to the, the, the asset. And then also um, getting these super, super fast payment times that, you know, everyone that's that's one of the biggest gripes about Bitcoin, right, is that it's slow. And that it, uh, you know, you you can't do much with it besides just send a payment. Well, um, that's essentially what the Lightning Network is solving: is that it allows you to uh, transact instantly. You don't have to wait on these ten-minute block times or whatever it is. And you can also do uh, embed these payments, you know, directly into web or mobile or chat or any of these various technologies. So it ultimately um, kind of defeats that whole argument around Bitcoin is slow and can't be, you know, used in you know unique ways. Because that's what the Lightning Network is made specifically for. And it kind of solves that in, in those unique ways that I just mentioned. Yeah, super exciting. And I'm looking forward to getting into some of the implications of uh, the Lightning Network a bit later. But to to keep it on the um, the infrastructure side for a moment, I think um, I think people are familiar, or at least people are, are familiar with like the whole philosophy of Bitcoin and uh, the block size wars back in 2017, where where uh, it was kind of uh, written in stone that uh, Bitcoin nodes would be easy to run and wouldn't require massive hardware specifications. So pretty much anyone would be able to run a Bitcoin node and that would uh, contribute to and maintain the, the decentralization of the network. Um, but how about Lightning Network nodes? Because I know that uh, it is a, a separate um, network of nodes, but how easy... Um, is it to run a lightning node? Yeah, definitely. No, so, so that's a great question. And you're exactly right on kind of, you know, block size wars and the, uh, the, the push for keeping Bitcoin as decentralized as possible. And so when you think about, you know, how does the lightning network compare to that? Um, it's, it is, I mean, it's, I would say that there's levels of, there's a spectrum inside of running lightning nodes. There's um, mobile apps that are like um, some of examples are like Breeze or Phoenix, where literally the node is running inside of the phone. So it could be as simple as that to as complex as you are, you know, Chase Bank or some, you know, very large institution. You need like very high availability. You need this like data persistence. You need all these like really um, kind of high SLA, uh, you know, options when you're running your node so you can do kind of any uh either of those extremes as and anything in the middle so uh whether you're just a hobbyist and you just want to run a node like at home um you can do that on just like a raspberry pi um you can run it inside of voltage uh where we just make it you, know, you can spin up a node in two minutes and it's up and running and then um once you have a node you need to like kind of establish these payment channels to be able to transact inside of the network we have tools to help you manage that as well. And so um, ultimately, uh, the the answer is like, I guess the, to the question of, is it hard to run a Lightning node? It, um, the answer is no. Um, and it just really depends on what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve to uh, really um, to, to uh, best uh, 
solve that use case that you're trying to solve. And to the point around like, I guess, decentralization and whatnot, um, when you think about the Lightning Network, so given what I said earlier on kind of the consensus is still uh, pushed to the layer one, consensus is the thing that needs to be decentralized. The, the, the thing that is um, where everyone is kind of agreeing on this global state of what the blockchain is, it's, it's absolutely critical for that to be completely decentralized. And the Lightning Network, given that there is no consensus layer, it's all just peer to peer. The only people that really need to agree on the state of a thing is you and your counterparty. So the whole decentralization aspect is is sort of flipped on its head and it doesn't necessarily matter as much. It really just matters on you personally of who you want to uh, have as your counterparty in your channels and whatnot. So uh, as you know, keeping it, it also allows us to do a lot more where we can, you know, have a lot more, uh, you know, we like we can you know, run inside of things like voltage and whatnot, because the uh, the decentralization is much uh, it's a much different argument at that point where, you know, we need to focus on keeping that layer one very decentralized because it is consensus where the, the second layer could be it, it's a, just a much different story. And how about on the um, the custody aspect, uh, or maybe that's not quite the right word, but when uh, when people use voltage, um, what's the let's see how different is it from completely spinning up your own node um, in terms of like how much sovereignty you have over your node? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so Voltage is non-custodial, so we let you still like have control of your keys. It's like your own real node. It's on its own, you know, on hardware. It's all of, like you're um, completely dedicated to you. And so I think just like I was mentioning on kind of the spectrum of uh, how hard or easy it is to like run a node, there's sort of a similar spectrum on like sovereignty in that, um, you know, the, the most self-sovereign way to run a node is to run it, you know, in your home, in your basement on like, you know, your own computer, your own hardware or whatever it is. That is fairly challenging to do. There's a lot of um, kind of uh, out of the box node solutions that make it easier, um, but I wouldn't say that they completely solve that. And so Voltage is, and then I guess like on the other extreme of that is a completely custodial provider. That's like, um, you know, Exchange, Binance, uh, Coinbase, whatever, that is basically you're just storing your keys on, you know, it's their keys, you're just storing all of your coin on their servers, that kind of thing. And so those are the extremes. And so Voltage is, um, I wouldn't even say it's in the middle. I would say it's closer to that self-sovereignty, but it, it, there is some trust in that you need to trust, you know, Voltage to keep your node up and up and running. You have to trust us with the, the you know, the versions. We know what we're doing with the networking and all those things. So you hand off a little bit of that responsibility and, you know, trust Voltage that we're going to do all of those things in the best way possible. But ultimately, we still give you, um, you know, you have full, like all of, everything is encrypted to your password that we don't know. You're able to download all of the data out of your node whenever you want. You're able to uh, download your channel backups. You could even download your node outside of Vultures and then go set it up at home at a later date if you wanted to. So we, we try and give our users as much um, uh, control, privacy, and flexibility as we can. So um, we try and give as similar of an experience as we can of like running a node at home while also trying to solve a lot of the complexities that come with running a node at home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this might be jumping a bit ahead, but I'm curious uh, what your view of the long-term future is in terms of people running their own nodes. Because I think often um, hardcore Bitcoiners will kind of act as if in the future every single person is going to run their own uh, full Bitcoin node and perhaps Lightning Network node as well. But if I'm not mistaken, even Satoshi said at one point that probably 
not be more than like a hundred thousand Bitcoin nodes. Um, and I'm not sure about Lightning Network nodes, but um, do you have a view on on like uh, how how many nodes, whether it's Bitcoin or the Lightning Network, like how many nodes are really going to be necessary, and um, what you think that is going to look like in the future between people um, using services, whether it's something like Voltage or something even more custodial versus uh, people um, doing everything themselves in like a much more Bitcoinized world? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good question as well. And I think um, in, so I, like, I think that there will be a lot more. So in, in the, in to give context on like where we are today, there is a lot, uh, a majority of the Lightning Network is custodial today, where, you know, a lot of people that are using it are using it through custodial providers like Wallet of Satoshi and whatnot. And um, I think that the, the main reason for that is just there's a lot of UX that still needs to be solved inside of the non-custodial use case. And so that's something that we're aiming to solve and that we really want to make um, a very similar experience uh, of, of a custodial provider, but still keeping that non-custodial aspect in. You know, given that it's, uh, you know, a strictly a peer-to-peer payment network, it comes with a lot of unique challenges that maybe don't exist in a, in a strictly on-chain world. Um, and so there's a lot of advancements happening um, inside of the Lightning Network that allow you to do things like, like I was mentioning earlier, of like running a, mo- a Lightning Node on your phone or running, um, you know, running it at home in a much easier way or really kind of flipping things in that. Maybe you just like store the keys on your phone, but the node runs in the cloud and like all there's all of these different ways that this this could evolve. And so ultimately, I think that, you know, it's it's hard to give numbers on, you know, number of Bitcoin nodes, number of lightning nodes, whatever, because I think that the way that we think about lightning nodes today and it being sort of this, you know, this big server that like has to kind of always be there. Um, I think that that's going to really evolve as we progress through the years and where um, I think that, you know, having like running like a lightning node, so to speak, would actually just be like an application on your phone, just like this Twitter, you know, Twitter app is. And so um, so when we think about that, I think that we would be in like, you know, the millions of, you know, quote, lightning nodes on the network at that point, um, tens of millions, who knows. But uh, so I think that that really makes it um, very, uh, I think that the 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 ability to control your keys is very important to like us at voltage. And so we really want to push down that path to really making that a a reality. And so that's something that we're very focused on. So I think that um, as we progress the technology, like the number of nodes, so to speak, will be very, very high. And I think that um, similarly with like with Bitcoin nodes as well, I think that there's, there's a lot of tech coming that is, uh, also making Bitcoin nodes easier to run like Utrexo or Utrexo or whatever. I can't remember the name of it exactly, but there's a lot of advancements in running Bitcoin nodes that are um, uh, lighter, easier for like initial block download and all those things. So I think that with the tech advancements, we will see a significant amount of nodes increase. But I guess to your point earlier on the kind of Satoshi's comment, I mean, I agree. It's not like I think that there are some people that think every, you know, my grandma is going to run a Bitcoin node in, in her closet at home. And it's like, okay, that's probably not going to be a reality. And so I think that there is a, there is a give and take there of, I think that there will be with technology advancements a lot easier for everyone to do it. That said, it won't be like a, you know, you have your, your node next to your fireplace at home kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more question on, on the voltage side, what are, uh, some common, um, what's some common troubleshooting that you have to do with new users or what are some things that, uh, are 
maybe different than what they expected, whether they're coming from Bitcoin or they're just totally new to uh, the Bitcoin side of things? Yeah, I mean, the I think the, yeah, there's a couple of things in that um, when someone the one of the things that we hear a lot when someone is first using Lightning is just the surprise at how fast it is. Like, I think that they don't understand, like, the instant settlement aspect of it where, like, you know, say you're using on-chain Bitcoin or Ethereum or any really real layer one there. Um, when you when you submit a payment to just pay for something, um, you usually the service provider that is accepting the payment usually kind of says like, oh, it's accepted. But really, they have to like wait on some confirmations like, you know, in the back end to like confirm that it's really there and then you get your services back. And so it's kind of like a, a fake um, confirmation where everyone knows, OK, the real confirmations come later. Um, but in Lightning, when you pay an invoice, like it's settled like instantly as soon as you get that settlement you know message like it is really settled there is no mempool there's no waiting on the transaction to confirm and so you know that's what we hear a lot of like okay i sent this payment like is it really there and like we really have to explain that yes like it is that fast it is really there like it's it is the true instant settlement that you that, that we're talking about and it's not some kind of like we got to wait for confirmations after the fact so people that are kind of new to lightning we hear that a lot and we really have to explain that the the instant settlement aspect is is true and real um and then i think when we look at you know people that are actually running nodes i think that the thing that we have to explain the most is that liquidity side so when you're transacting inside of uh, a layer one um all you really need is like you know their address you can send to it and then you know, that's all that you have to do. You have to have, you know, your coins, you can just send to an address and it gets confirmed and it's there. With Lightning, you have to first establish what's those payment channels, like I was mentioning earlier. So you have to, uh, to be able to receive payments, you have to have payment channels, you know, opened with liquidity pointed towards your node. And then to be able to send, you have to have liquidity pointed, you know, out of your node. So think of it as like a, an abacus, like uh, with like, you know, the beads on a string kind of thing and moving them back and forth. And so, um, that is a unique uh, thing that really exists inside of the light network that doesn't necessarily exist in other layer ones or potentially other layer twos. I'm not familiar with all of the layer twos inside of like Ethereum or otherwise, but um, so that is a unique aspect to lightning that really um, takes a little bit of time for people to kind of grasp that. It's not just like, here's, you know, here's my address. You can just pay it. You have to have some of that liquidity established, but with service providers like voltage, we are really helping um, relieve that. Like that's that's kind of the last thing that we want is someone to come to the Lightning Network and think, okay, I have to go and understand all of these, you know, 10 different items. We want to just say, you know, here's your node, here you go. You can just start sending and receiving payments. So that is a, a thing that we have to explain today, but we are working on the tools to make it so we don't have to explain it in the future. I mean, that's our goal is like, you know, the, the, the questions that we're having to answer today will eventually just be alleviated with the software that we're writing. And it's just all automatic and you don't have to think about any of this stuff. Yeah, on the speed side, um, certainly with uh, like with ordinals recently and so many people, new people coming into the, uh, the uh, Bitcoin slash lightning space, I, I've definitely seen some comments like people just being shocked at how fast it is. I mean, first time I used Lightning Network, I was shocked as well because you get used to bitcoin moving at like i mean quickest 10 minutes but typically like an hour to confirm a transaction so yeah it really is like kind of a magical experience and then uh yeah on the on the payment channel side i think that is kind of hard to wrap one's head around but uh i've also heard that it can be profitable to run your own node because you can charge charge fees for routing uh 
other people's payments. Is that um, is that true, or is is it pretty hard to turn a profit on a Lightning Node at this point? Yeah, that's a great question that I didn't uh, I, yeah, I didn't even think to touch on. So so yeah, what you say is correct in that you know when you establish these payment channels, like I was talking about, um, you are you know able to pay to your direct peer that you have a channel with. But you're also able to like, you know, say that I have a channel to my friend Bob and Bob has a channel to the McDonald's and I'm trying to pay the McDonald's. Well, I can pay the McDonald's through Bob's node. And that means Bob is routing my payments for me. And so um, with that, that means that um, Bob could collect a fee for routing the payment for me. So he can set his own fees inside of his channels where maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 5%, 10%, whatever it is. He can set his own fees. And so that is what some people do is they essentially just act as a large routing node where you just stand up, um, stand up a node, you open a bunch of channels into, you know, popular destinations or places that need liquidity. And then you're just routing payments, um, you know, all day long and you're just collecting a small fee for the payments that you route through. Um, so that is a method of kind of you know, fee generation of revenue um, for operating a node. And um, that is uh, it, it's so the one of the big benefits of the Lightning Network is that it's very, um, very cost efficient where like, you know, the fees that you pay on a payment are usually, you know, sub one percent or something like that. They're very, very low. And so um, with that, if you jack up your fees too high, you probably won't just get any routing at all. And so you need to be um, so there's like a give and take there where you want to um, you got to find that nice middle ground with kind of your fee setting to actually be able to. Uh, like route payments as well as like earn some fees on it and so to your question around like is it kind of feasible to do today is definitely feasible there's definitely people out there that are um, optimizing just for strictly routing and trying to turn a profit on it i wouldn't say that i think that we're still a little early from it being um you know a big huge money maker i mean i think if you put in enough capital and you were very active in managing uh, it you know it could be and that's something that we work with our clients on is um, actually kind of operating, you know, well running routing nodes. Um, so it is a possibility, but I wouldn't say that it's just something like uh, it's like some people that I hear come, you know, come to this from like the, the Web3 space is like comparing it to staking. And, you know, you just lock up your coins and you get a reward for it. Well, this is it's a little different where you're kind of like locking up your coins into a payment channel, but it's not it's not just set it and forget it. There's a little bit more active management to it. For sure, yeah. And I think maybe it's maybe it's kind of important to uh, emphasize to people what what the actual comparison is here. Like with something like credit cards, it feels instant and it feels fee free. But actually, uh, with credit cards, they're charging uh, the vendors like something around three percent, which of course is generally passed on to the to the buyer. And also, it's not it's not. Uh, settled in that moment it's just a it's just a check of whether you have the funds and then the actual payment is settled later on but then with lightning um the fees are yeah sub one percent maybe even sub point one percent and also it's uh there's final settlement in that instant which uh yeah is pretty a pretty novel concept compared to legacy finance yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that that, that is an, a, an example that I use a lot just for kind of understanding um, the Lightning Network and kind of where it sits is that like I like to call the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin layer one network as sort of like, you know, the banking system like SWIFT or things like that that are kind of moving large amounts of money between banks where 
Um, the Lightning Network is more of like that Visa credit card network. So it's just, you know, instant payments, um, or at least seemingly instant payments, like all of those things. Um, so it's more uh, faster, easier, all of those things. Um, but then to your point on, you know, the Visa Network, yeah, they do charge, I mean, 3% plus fees for the vendors. And it's not really um, instant settlement. It you know feels like it, but then there's always like this kind of settling up at uh, on the back end. And so, um, you know, being able to provide essentially a visa like experience, but not having to do the 3% and not having to do the, you know, the delayed settlement and all of these things really opens it up to uh, for, you know, once people start to use that, I mean, it's very eye opening in that, you know, they, when they receive that payment, like they get all of it. They don't have to wait for Visa to go and de- you know deposit that money into their bank account in a couple of days and you know take a cut of it. It's like it's theirs and they can use that instantly. They can go pay their bills with it or whatever. And so it's uh it's very eye opening to see. I think the the instant settlement play out in real life. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about use cases because uh, I think as cool as it is from the technical side, I think for a lot of people, probably myself included, it doesn't really. Uh, click until you see like uh, like something that wasn't possible before that is possible now or something that uh, is just um, a really novel usage of the technology. So what kind of um, cool use cases are you seeing? And I guess I really I, I uh, <laughs> really um, set up high expectations. but uh, yeah, feel free to feel free to start with like more mundane examples and uh, I'm sure we'll get into some very cool ones as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, there's tons of uh, kind of use cases, and we see that across our customer base. Um, I think, you know, a starter one that I think resonates with a lot of people is uh, one of our customers, Thunder Games. And so they're a, a mobile game dev, uh, dev shop. And so they develop these, you know, games that you can play on your phone. Um, but the difference in them is that as you're playing the games, uh, when you're, you know, leveling up or collecting, you know, a mushroom on the race or whatever it is, um, as you're playing the game, you're actually collecting um, Satoshis. You're actually collecting real reward that they will pay, you know, pay you out at the end of the game. Um, and so it's a gives you a whole new incentive mechanism and in that you can actually, you know, you can earn money by playing games. Right. And so it, it allows, um, you know, far better user engagement than games without it. And you get people, um, you know, in the door interacting with your games and then you're able to actually, you know, reward them for for what they do uh, inside of the games. And so, you know, sure, that could be possible outside of Bitcoin and like, you know, the traditional fiat world. But think about, you know, you'd have to you'd essentially have to, you know, wait until they you know racked up a certain amount of money for it to make sense, like five or ten bucks. And then you have to, like, you know, probably send it out you know to their bank account or something. And it take days. And it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to like do these micro transactions very frequently, where with you know, with a game like this that can interact and integrate Bitcoin via the Lightning Network, they can pay out their their uh, their players instantly for for no fees on their end, and they can do that for you know they can send out fifty cents, they can send out a dollar, they can send out one cent, um, and they can do that without having like you know, it, and it all just works, just like the same. Sending a hundred dollars is the same as sending one penny. And there's no, um, you know, worry that you have to be, you know, efficient with the money because it's going to take days or fees or whatever it is. Um, so it allows that incentive mechanism to be like that that feedback loop to be much tighter, and that 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 game developer can go and like use that money instantly, you know, to go and even just you know buy a drink, go you know pay their rent or whatever it is. Um, and so 
uh, I'll I'll stop there. I have a lot more examples, but we can. I'll stop there before I go into the other ones. I'll I'll stop on the gaming one. Yeah, the the Thunder Games one is a really cool example, and it's one that definitely resonates with me because I actually got hooked on their uh, Solitaire game um, a while back, and uh, even I think it's it's like also a great way to bring other people into Bitcoin because uh, like with the with the solitaire for instance it's a game that's super familiar to people and it's actually surprisingly fun i mean yeah like i said i ended up getting kind of addicted to it and uh wasn't expecting that at all but then on the on the payment side yeah you can like withdraw at any time any amount um and it yeah it goes instantly to your wallet which is totally different i mean i don't have too much experience with mobile games but i know there are a ton of games that advertise that you can make money um, playing them but then it never really pans out because there'll be like a minimum withdrawal or even if there's not like you have to connect a bank account or something and uh, there's so many hoops to jump through but with this you just play and then whenever you want you you withdraw the amount to your wallet and it's it's yours like it's actually in your account no conditions on how you can spend it or anything like that it's not like loyalty points that you can only spend at a certain in a certain app or a certain store so yeah pretty awesome yeah no definitely i mean i think you brought up a good point too of like you know my experience has always been like i've i've always been enticed by like yeah you can earn money by like you know filling out surveys or playing games or whatever it is but there always is like this gotcha of like oh wait you have to actually spend like a thousand hours to rack up ten dollars before you can withdraw and like all these different things well you know with with lightning you can just there, there's no need for that. Like it's, it, it benefits both the consumer and like the business to pay them out like instantly and, you know, not have all of these gotchas because then it's going to lead to, you know, more uh, user, uh, user interactions and all those things. So, yeah, I think that uh, it's, it's a great example of being able to see these instant payments kind of happening uh, in a re- in the real world. Yeah. So what else are you saying? Yeah, uh, another one that I like to highlight is a, a company called Sonoda. So they're um, they're doing energy, so very very different. Um, they're doing energy contract settlements um, via the Lightning Network. So um, they're focusing. I think it applies more broadly, but they're focusing very much on Bitcoin mining today. And that there's uh, you know Bitcoin miners obviously consume like a lot of energy in their in their data centers, and then the the energy providers for them usually you know meter their electricity for a month send them the bill uh, that, you know, is like a 60 day payment window on it. And then there's usually, you know, negotiations about like, oh, the meter was wrong. Like you overcharge this, undercharge this, whatever. And so that usually, you know, ends up being a very, very long and difficult process for both parties. And so what um, Sonoda is working on is baking, making, um, uh, essentially doing these energy contract settlements um, much quicker via the Lightning Network in that, you know, you can settle up, you can essentially the the energy company can send a bill to the mining facility every hour or every day. And the the uh, the, the mining company can pay that bill, you know, instantly via the lightning network. And so it sounds like, OK, getting a bill every you know hour sounds like super annoying. Right. But like it, you, you, this could all be entirely automated as well, given that it's, you know, truly programmable money. Um, you could have some checks and balances in it that are, you know, automated and just be able to settle settle up uh, the the energy, you know, bill at a much higher frequency, which benefits both parties because um, one, the there's less uh, less of a window for like those the bills to be inaccurate or be like overcharged or something like that. You know, the 
for the last hour, it's, it's pretty, you know, both parties have a good idea on what that, what that's going to be. And then also the, the, you know, the electricity provider um, can get their money essentially, you know, instantly instead of having to wait for, you know, 30, 60, 90 days after the, the electricity was consumed to actually receive the payment so they can get paid out, you know, much quicker. And, and then again, you think about the, the fees that are usually get involved or even just if you're just paying via ACH or something like that. I mean, there's, there's potentially fees on it. So being able to uh, bring something as sort of uh, uh, I don't want to say mundane because I think the energy, like the energy space is pretty, is kind of exciting, but like as simple and real world as that is just like paying your electricity bill. Um, I think that being, I, I highlight that as an example because being able to do things in a programmatic way of automating uh, something like a bill payment, uh, one simplifies it for the user as well as like both parties benefit because they're paying less in fees and then the uh, the the provider can get paid out instantly instead of you know instead of like myself paying with my visa that goes you know to their bank and then they deposit it and all those things so it goes back to the, the both the speed of payments and that instant settlement. And is this something where they're looking to roll it out uh, beyond just miners eventually to where maybe even uh, like individual consumers would be able to stream uh, payments for their uh, utility bills in the future? Yeah, I don't know their full roadmap. I know that they are planning on expanding outside of just Bitcoin mining. Um, I'm not sure if it's like will ever be like direct to consumer or not. But I mean, the, the possibility is there. Like it could definitely happen and that, you know, you could certainly uh, be able to do that, you know, via a provider. Yeah. Oh, which again, like you mentioned, I guess would uh, would cut down a lot on the uh, uh, the non-payment problems for electricity providers where they're actually uh, losing a lot of money just through delayed payments or or uh, yeah, customers not paying their energy bills. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it would. Uh, yeah, definitely help with that, and it would um, essentially, you know, it cuts like. I think any time that you're thinking about like essentially cutting like that, that feedback loop down and to where that, you know, uh, you, you consume the thing, you owe money for it and then, you know, paying for it, um, getting the, both the fees and the time down on both of those benefits, both parties ultimately. So like the, you know, Sonoda is a great example for like the energy sector, but really like thinking about that more broadly it can be applied to anything that kind of has that same uh, mechanism. And when you think about doing that with anything else, like even, you know, say on-chain Bitcoin or even Ethereum or any of the, even Solana or any of those things, like you're going to, uh, you're, you're going to hit friction in that either it's confirmation time or it's throughput or something like that. Um, and so being able to, uh, and like, so I'll, I'll even give an example of like, you know, Solana's like blockchain, like, um, outages and things like that. Thinking about it from, you know, lightning perspective, the only two parties that matter in that transaction is, you know, you and your counterparty. So, um, you don't have to worry about this global state of being online or something like that. It's just you and your counterparty. And so it gives you a different, uh, a completely different way to transact as well. And so, you know, being able to, settle up with just you and your counterparty at a much higher interval, I think benefits everyone. Yeah, when you put it in those terms, it seems like the the possibilities are pretty endless in terms of um, business models that uh, their current pain point is, uh, is the yeah, delay between service provided and payment received. 
Um, so yeah, so many opportunities to, uh, to, uh, overcome that. Um, how about, uh, since we have mentioned, uh, web three a few times and it is in the title, um, on the, on the, uh, internet side of things, um, what are you seeing in terms of, um, uh, possibilities for the lightning network? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. There's, uh, I mean, there's a lot. I think that there's a lot of um, auxiliary uh, kind of uh, investigation going on, I would say. And that um, a couple things and that talking about like true lightning is that um, inside of these payments that uh, happen inside of the Lightning Network, you're able to attach essentially metadata to it. So we see people kind of using that in doing things like chat applications, like Sphinx Chat is a good example of a chat application or being able to do um, inside of like the lightning contracts, doing like escrow type solutions um, and whatnot. And so you're able to do things like essentially uh, have enabling the, the entire internet to be more programmatic and that you can use things like uh, Satoshi's via the lightning network to like pay for API calls. And like, you can do that. And again, in a very programmatic way, so you don't have to like actually manually, you know, kind of pay an invoice but you could just send like a Satoshi, like via like an HTLC, like as part of the request for the API. And so you as a, as a service provider can again, get paid out instantly and use it as like an authentication mechanism as well. And then the consumer can really um, get a very fine grained metered um, usage out of that API. And so, um, so those are like a couple, like they're ultimately inside of the Lightning Network and the, the types of contracts that exist for these payments um, enable you to do add a lot of extra um, capabilities into it and then you can add this metadata for like things like messaging or you can um, uh, extend these smart contracts into doing more more uh, more uh, I guess like authentication based based actions as well and then we think about things that are I would say like Bitcoin adjacent or so I guess when I say Bitcoin adjacent I'm thinking about like Noster specifically so that's a new um, decentralized um I guess, messaging service uh, and that it's, uh, you know, it's kind of being pitched as like a, a, a new version of Twitter, I guess, but it really can be like expanded for much more than that. And it's just essentially a, a messaging relay service that is like uh, decentralized. And so via things like Noster, um, it allows uh, for a more, uh, more decentralized method of interacting with others. And so say I wanted to, um, you know, buy and sell bitcoin from someone like just strictly peer-to-peer well the best way to do that is probably something like out of band that's not going to kind of like monitor my transactions or um try and even like swap out my text for like bitcoin addresses or something in the middle where like with um services like noster you're able to one communicate directly with the other party but then you can also do things like tie lightning into it um to actually be able to um you know embed payments into this messaging system so you think about it from like you know, the Twitter perspective of like, or like the social media perspective, I guess, of like actually being able to embed um, the Lightning Network payments into um, something like Twitter. But it's not like, hey, this company Twitter is partnering with this company that has like some, you know, payment system that we're going to embed. It's like, it's all peer to peer, which I think is like the, the kind of the crux of it, of the importance of it, is that you don't have to trust a counterparty. You don't have to interact with anyone else you and just this other person alone can be the only ones that know about it and be the only ones that um actually uh you know participate in the transaction and then finally i have to mention ordinals as well because that's been the the latest thing that's happening um so ordinals are um you know uh, being able to inscribe data into the bitcoin blockchain 
um, which has been um, it's been very fascinating to watch that play out. And that um, you know we're we're starting to see um, a lot more program uh, programmability of like the base layer as well as lightning. And so you know with things like ordinals, um, I think that you know the sort of like the NFT-esque like images are kind of what we see today. But I think that there's a lot of popularity, like a lot of possibilities inside of doing even more than that inside of the Bitcoin base layer of doing things like rollups or um, actually inscribing um, other types of data for like validation or verification. Think about like decentralized identities and whatnot. So ultimately the base layer is also getting a lot more programmatic. And so um, Open Ordex is a great example of a of an ordinals exchange that is directly peer to peer. And the way that they do that is that they can um, they sign like PSPTs, which are partially signed Bitcoin transactions. And you can essentially like post a partially signed Bitcoin transaction and someone can uh, buy that from you um, and you can communicate with that via Noster. Uh, and, uh, and then you can like essentially own that ordinal from that. So there's no one that is required to be the middleman in this and it can all be um, directly peer to peer. So um, I keep saying that and that it's, but it's really, uh, it's so ingrained into Bitcoin and all of these Bitcoin adjacent things, because that's where, you know, the, the take that I guess uh, us Bitcoiners have is that everything needs to be um, completely, you know, decentralized and peer to peer and that, um, you know, maybe some coordination can happen, but, Ultimately, uh, you know, we can get all the as soon as you add in a counterparty um, or you make a move to decrease that decentralization, um, things start to, you know, you lose a lot of the benefits, right? You lose some of the cost savings you get on fees. You lose uh, some of that censorship resistant you know, capabilities. So uh, I guess that's a kind of a long answer, but there's a being able to uh, with a lot of the upgrades that are happening inside of both on-chain Bitcoin as well as like the layer two, though all of the programmatic um, aspects that you have seen in like kind of the web three space with like, you know, the development of Ethereum and Solana and all of these other ones is like, ultimately that is all coming to Bitcoin and we can do a lot of those same things inside of Bitcoin. And if, if those are all possible inside of Bitcoin, why would you not use the strongest base layer, you know, to build on top of, like, why would you kind of go with that less decentralized, that, that um, one that requires more counterparties. And so, um, yeah, ultimately being able to bring in a lot of programmatic aspects into Bitcoin is what's happening today. And so, you know, those that are looking to build should, you know, really explore Bitcoin earnestly because it is that strongest base layer out there. Yeah. So many, uh, so many great points and so many things that I'm also uh, personally very excited about. I think the permissionless aspect is a really key point. And I think it's one that uh, um, for, well, for people who live in, under uh, particularly autocratic governments, I think it's it probably is easier to understand uh, where you need some way to uh, transact that isn't subject to the controls of a of a dictator, for instance, but then even um, for those of us who live in, I guess, comparatively free societies, um, it is still important. Like we're talking about Thunder Games and just the the uh, frictionlessness of being able to instantly receive a payment without um, connecting your bank account or having to give away all kinds of information about your identity. Um, I mean, email address, password, uh, usually some uh, 
some ID verification as well, which means that then the, the, the games company or whatever company it is has uh, all your data. Um, even, for example, something that I've been uh, that I've been loving lately is the light, lightning login where you just uh, you want to log into a site. It shows a QR code. You scan it with your with your lightning wallet and it uh, usually doesn't cost anything, although it, it could, I suppose. But it's just a, a totally free way to log in, which um, kind of verifies that you are a person, but uh, um, but doesn't require that you give any uh, data away. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think that that's a, a great point in that um, when we think about the peer-to-peer payments aspect, I mean, yes, like it's, that's a whole, that's a whole other topic on like, you know, the data privacy aspect, because usually, you know, when you're, um, anytime that someone has to uh, accept like, you know, credit cards or any, you know, anything like that, any kind of traditional fiat uh, payment system, you usually have to give up some data about it, whether it's like, you know, your information to your credit card company or your information to your bank or that, yeah, the, the gaming company or whatever, there's like, there's, there's like almost always data involved in it. Right. And with, you know, Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, there could be zero data. Like you could, you could generate a node, receive a payment to it and just like delete it, you know, and just like have that, you know, in your cold storage or something. So there's, um, you have the ability of really, um, kind of taking control of your data and what you want to give out, what you don't want to give out. And so, yeah, it really gives you um, a lot more capabilities there. And I agree with the login with lightning. Like it's, it's a super cool to see. And then again, like you don't have to, you know, you don't have to hook up your Gmail or you don't have to give them, you know, like you don't have to sign up with an email and hope that you don't get, you know, tracked or, you know, advertised to or something like that. It's just as simple as, you know, log in with this. Um, it's essentially like, you know, just message signing from, you know, pub- just with cryptography. Like that's all this is, is cryptography. And so just leveraging that in a way that preserves your data is, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those, I guess it's one of those use cases that's outside of the payments realm, right? But it's like, it's, it's very important and it's very, uh, very great to see. Yeah. You also reminded me of how, um, for example, right now I use, I use Brave as my main browser and it's awesome because it blocks ads. It does a really good job of blocking ads and, uh, it's, it's payment model is, is that it, it's, um, the users choose whether they want to see ads and then, uh, um, if they if they accept seeing ads, then they're rewarded in Brave's token, uh, and then uh, you can use those tokens to reward the creators of websites that you visit, or you can just get pay the token yourself. So you're kind of being rewarded for for seeing ads. But the problem, I'm not sure how it is in other places, but certainly in Japan, if you want to receive this token, you actually have to. Um, make an account with an exchange and you can only receive it through this exchange of course you have to uh, like give the exchange a bunch of data to set up an account um but then with uh i think it's the impervious browser which is um uh supposedly a a lightning a so-called lightning native uh browser i think it's similar but uh you're actually paid um sats instead of uh instead of another token and uh for that, I don't think, I think you can just receive it to your wallet. You don't need to, to set up a, another account. Yeah, we actually, we actually have an, a, an integration with the impervious browser um, to help like, you know, hook up your node to your browser. But um, yeah, I mean, like, I think that I don't know of exactly how many, um, what the, 
I guess like the one to one is with like a brave experience with like their brave token and things like that compared to lightning, but it's all definitely possible. And so if like, you know, if it hasn't been built yet, it probably will be. Uh, and so, yeah, like I think that being able to uh, also be selective and uh, being rewarded for, for doing those kinds of things of like, you know, viewing ads or, or things like that, I think is also, uh, you know, super interesting. And it's also, you know, being able to, to do that and in a way that is also, you know, like privacy preserving as well. So, yeah, I think that uh, being able to bring in a lot of those, uh, those aspects is super exciting. Yeah. So many things to touch on. I realize now that you mentioned Noster and I, uh, I uh, still haven't, uh, (laughs) we haven't uh, dived into that at all. So let's, uh, let's do that. Um, Yeah. Noster is something that I, uh, I, I heard about it for a while and I kept meaning to check it out and, uh, then finally did um, through the, uh, let's see, the Damus um, iOS app, which makes it pretty easy. But as I understand it, there's a bunch of different apps or even desktop um, software to access this Noster protocol. And uh, the way I the way I explain it to other people, um, and I'm, I'm curious what you think of this or if it's uh, if it's not at all accurate, but the way I explain it to people is that um, I mean there are right now it is pretty pretty rough. Like if you jump on now, you can't expect it to be like the the sleek experience of a uh, a web two social media app. But I think what why it uh, it has so much potential is that um it's open source so anyone can build on it so like if you want like a very twitter like experience you can build a twitter app on top of it if you want like a more facebook like experience then you can build that on it or like an instagram type experience and someone can build that and everyone can choose what type of interface they want but it's all the same it's like it's the same feed so if someone is posting on what they think is like a facebook type thing you can still see it um from whatever app you're using so it's like uh um everyone's in the same community potentially and if it, if if the app that you happen to be using makes uh changes that you don't like you can move to another one and you don't have to sacrifice the network that you've built up uh over time um is that uh would you say that's a fair way to describe it or if am i uh, am i off the mark there no, I think that that is a pretty good way to describe it. And like, ultimately, the like the Nostra like protocol is like incredibly simple. And then it's just essentially like, you know, you have a bunch of relays, and you can just post like these simple messages to them, and it you know stores them, and you can query based on some some items. And so, you know, given what you just said, like that protocol is like, yeah, you can kind of just pick and choose what applications you want to interact with it. So it's imagine like, you know, to your example, it's like Twitter you don't just have to use like the Twitter app. You could use like, there's like a hundred ways to interact with Twitter and you can use any one of them and just pick the experience that you like the best. Uh, And so it gives like, you know, app developers more incentive to like build really good experiences because anyone could just switch it at any time. Um, It is like, you know, to your point, it is still a little bit early in that um, it, you got to, you got to do a little bit of work to kind of like uh, set it up and like follow, you know, the the necessary people that you want to follow and all of those things. But, there's a lot being worked on in the UX to make it uh, much better. I know that we're working on some things uh, inside of Voltage to help like in the, in the Nostra ecosystem. And so uh, it's, it's still a very exciting um, thing to, to be a part of. And then also to touch on what you said around like um, 
I guess like the, the kind of a Facebook, Twitter, like experience and you can kind of, um, it all lives in the same place. You could also do kind of the opposite of like, you could, um, communicate with a very specific relay that is only, you know, tailored for this one particular, like, you know, it's a gardening relay. That's all the information there is only supposed to be about gardening. Um, and so you can also kind of, um, zone in on like particular topics or something if you wanted as well. And so there's a lot, it's still fairly early for the protocol. So there's a lot more that can happen, um, with it, I think. And there's a lot of development happening inside of it. So ultimately, um, being able to just have this sort of decentralized messaging system, um, is very exciting. And I think that there's going to be a lot of, uh, interesting things being built on top of it. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, speaking of relays, uh, as I understand it, relays are kind of like nodes in the um, Bitcoin network or Lightning network in that uh, people run relays and these relays form a network which uh, which constitutes this uh, decentralized uh, messaging network. But are you, are you guys, since you are a, a node infrastructure provider for the Lightning network, are you thinking about... Uh, providing some kind of relay service as well yeah it's a good question um we like we probably will at some point um with the reason why we're not like i guess jumping at that right away is that there is um i haven't looked at the relay count here recently but there's like hundreds of them today which seems to be sufficient given like the current demand so i don't think that there is a lot that we could offer that would be substantially different or better than what's out there today so that's the reason I'm not jumping at, you know, standing up um, new relays. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of opportunity that could be done inside of like making relays more efficient um, and things like that. And so maybe uh, once we, once we have, we have a very ambitious roadmap. So maybe once we carve out some time to like actually work on those problems, we'll, we'll do that. Um, things that we are like kind of working on inside of the space are um, there's things like what are called, like there's uh there's a set of like uh, proposals on kind of like how the protocol should work. And those are called like NIPs, which is like a Nostra improvement proposal, I think. Um, and so there's a thing called NIP fives, which are um, sort of like a email address looking resolution that goes to like your pub key and a, a pub key, essentially, it looks very much like a Bitcoin address or something. And so we're working on something like that to be able to uh, resolve the, the pub keys in a much easier way, um, as well as uh, support for, zaps which inside of nostr zaps are essentially like tipping it's like paying a, an invoice to some person um and so we're working on a, a a system that can um do zaps into your own node uh so your own personal lightning node um and then we're also working on things like you know data backup so you could have essentially a backup of your own data like at all times so if you wanted to talking about moving from the experiences from like application to application you could do the same thing with relays as well of like hey, this relay is not performing well for me. I'm going to switch over to this one. And so us, we will be providing like a, a way for you to kind of back up your data so you can make that switch between relays really easily. So it's essentially all just kind of around um, UX improvements and data uh, reliability is ultimately, you know, where we where we see that we will add value. And so, you know, ultimately it'll probably come into like a more um, more official relay stance. But today those are the areas that we're thinking about. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of zaps, that was another thing that uh, that I found very cool and I think has a lot of potential probably even beyond uh, what we're imagining right now. I mean, you think like up until now, social media has been driven by likes, which is uh, not not that great of a, of a signal when you think about it, because it's totally free 
to do to like someone's post. It costs you nothing. Um, but then so often like content is boosted based on, based on how many likes it has, but then you, you swap that out for something like, uh, like micro payments of Bitcoin or, or just, I mean, don't have to get sidetracked with the, the Bitcoin aspect. Just think of it as like, uh, like, uh, you're, you're giving a small amount of value for someone's post in exchange for it. Presumably their post gave you some value. So you're rewarding it with something. And then that can also, that serves as a much better signal in terms of analytics for, um, which creators are, are truly creating value because they're the ones that are actually, um, being rewarded by actual value from, from the people reading those posts. So I think it, it also has a lot of potential for, uh, for analytics of uh, social media beyond what we've seen in the web two space where there's been so many like perverse incentives uh, instead. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. And I think that um, like having, yeah, even if like, you know, with the ability of, you know, the Lightning network and being able to send like one Satoshi, which is, you know, a fraction of a cent. I can't even remember what a Satoshi is nowadays, but you know, uh, fractions of a cent. And even, even that's enough to show that, Hey, you know, this person, it's, it's enough to show that, uh, this person does like actually, you know, show interest, they get value from this, this content or something like that. So it does, it is a much better, uh, mechanism of actually, you know, measuring value, uh, than just like a like or something like that, because, you know, at the end of the day, those are given that they're free, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily, um, it's not as, uh, it's not as good of a signal of a value as, you know, true value of, you know, actually being able to uh, show the, you know, uh, you, you sending a payment to that person. Yeah. So um, as you can probably tell, I'm a pretty big fan of, of the lightning network and uh, Bitcoin in general, but uh, I do want to try to play devil's advocate for a second, because you mentioned that, uh, um, that everything we're seeing in web three will eventually come to bitcoin or at least if it if it has true value then it'll come to bitcoin i think that's that's a claim that uh probably a lot of people in web3 would be skeptical of um and uh i think for a lot of the things we've mentioned there are um similar examples in uh, uh for example based on other chains whether it's uh messaging protocols or um, things that resemble other social media apps or, uh, of course, like instant payments. We do have other um, chains that uh, offer that uh, instant uh, payments for low fees. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of uh, similar things that I think people would be tempted to say, well, this is this is the same or this is better. Um, why Why does this need to move to Bitcoin. So what would be your response to um, someone who's thinking in that way? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a good question. And it's, um, it's, uh, I guess it's hard without like, you know, specific examples of like, you know, comparing X to Y. Um, but ultimately, uh, you know, the, usually, so the, it's, it's kind of like a matter of like physics, I guess. And that like, you know, when you're sacrificing um, one property, you're like, w when you're adding a property, you're giving up another. And so when you think about um, adding in, like, say, like speed of payments into into a blockchain, um, there's something that you have to like give up in terms of adding that speed. And so with something like Solana, 
um, you know, your speed is increased, but you, the, 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 the problem with that is, is that the block, like the, the requirements to run a node are like, uh, I can't remember the last time it looked like 20, 30 grand a month or something to like run a node inside of Solana. And so, um, so that has caused it to be incredibly centralized. I mean, it's basically like a PayPal or something like that, where there's like, you know, a group of people that run the servers and, you know, maybe people disagree with that. That's fine. But like, ultimately it becomes super centralized and then you you get those problems of like it going down and things like that that we have seen and so um so for that it's like you know you you increase the payment speed but really you decrease the decentralization and so you it it comes with more problems um same thing with uh being able to add like programmatic like aspects to it um well that like you know in something like ethereum like okay they have more uh maybe more native smart contract systems but like the blockchain um, gets so big that again, it gets very um, hard to like actually run a node or um, perform any of like the validation yourself or, you know, validate any of the things that are happening. And so you ultimately are left just trusting um, whatever your source is, um, whether it's, you know, an Infura or something like that. And so you aren't able to do, uh, it's very hard to like do self-validation on top of those things. So there is always, um, there's always a trade-off in terms of like the, when you add something, you got to take away another. And so that's why uh, Bitcoin was created to be, you know, it was made specifically for this, like, you know, the hard money, this, this global payment network. And so it kind of, it solved that first. And where a lot of the other chains are um, not, they're, they're kind of ignoring that and going to these other areas first. And so, um, but adding in that kind of hard money censorship resistantness uh, after the fact is, is challenging. It's all, it's almost, I would say impossible. You kind of have to start from it and, uh, and then build on top, which is, you know, building on top of, you know, uh, lightning and whatnot. And like things like messaging, it's like messaging probably shouldn't be on a blockchain for the most part, which is why like Nostra and things are great. Cause that's not a blockchain. Um, and so being able to start on like the, the hardest base, the, the most, uh, valuable base is, is, is the best place to be. And then you can, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, your transaction being um, reversed or being censored or all these different things. So that's why I uh, am a, in a proponent or, you know, I'm, I'm suggesting that these things are going to move to, uh, and, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Like, you know, these other, there will be more chains than Bitcoin, but like, I think ultimately anything of value will go to Bitcoin because of those aspects. And that, um, you know, Bitcoin is the, why would you not uh, build what you're building on top of like the most sound, most censorship resistant, most decentralized uh, base layer that ultimately gets you all of the same things um, without all of the risk that uh, comes associated with like, you know, the centralization and all these other things. Yeah, that's a great point. When it comes to uh, blockchains, there's so many different things to think about and things that people um advertise as like the the thing that their blockchain brings but uh really i think you're right that when it comes down to it there's there's just a a few things that a blockchain really does well um or at least can potentially do really well things like censorship resistance um decentralization and i think you're right in that bitcoin is far and away that does those things best of any of the the blockchains that we've seen and it's important to get those things right and then you can start building on top of it rather than kind of pursuing something else 
first and then trying to uh, achieve that censorship resistance later on. Speaking of uh, building on top, I realize um, we we haven't even touched on things like uh, tarot. Did you want to um, talk about uh, tarot? I'm not sure how much voltage is, is uh, specifically involved with that, but I know that it is something being built on the Lightning Network. Yeah, I mean, all yeah, I can touch on it real quick, just as an, as an example almost of uh, kind of what I was just saying of, you know, Taro is a is a, a, a way of essentially issuing assets on top of Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. So um, a good example of like a, a likely, I guess, first use of that would be stable coins. So being able to uh, bring stable coins into Bitcoin in the lightning network is, is essentially, um, you know, kind of what, what people, uh, purport, uh, Taro solving. And so when you think about, uh, so it's, it, it, the protocol itself is very, um, you know, it uses, it uses beta, sorry, native Bitcoin and it uses native lightning as well. And so it gives you all those properties that I mentioned previously about, um, you know, the, the censorship resistance, instant settlement, all those things. Um, and then it brings it with it, like, you know, these these alternative assets like stable coins and whatnot. So um, if stable coins were able to be, you know, ran on top of Bitcoin um, and it gets all these benefits, I mean, I think that it would be. Uh, and then also it gets like it gets the penetration that Bitcoin has today in like Central America and all these different you know uh, uh, zones that have a, a high adoption rate of Bitcoin. And so um Ultimately, you know, Taro is an example of like something that has, you know, previously started on other chains and is moving into into Bitcoin. Yeah, super exciting. The the stablecoin aspect is something that uh, I think a lot of people, even Bitcoiners, can acknowledge that there's there's a need for for some kind of dollar pegged or at least uh, something that has less volatility than Bitcoin itself. Um, there's a need for that, especially in the uh, in places where uh, there's hyperinflation or uh, severe capital controls on on how people can hold their wealth or what uh, what they have access to. Um, so yeah, it would be amazing to see that come to Bitcoin because so far the the biggest stablecoins uh, are certainly not on Bitcoin, and uh, we we've uh, we've seen some vulnerabilities with with those lately with the usdc being locked up in silicon valley bank for instance another thing that i have heard about recently although i know very little is uh sovereign roll-ups uh did you want to talk about those at all yeah um it's 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 an interesting area and one that i still need to get a little bit educated on but i mean ultimately it's using the technology that I mentioned previously of ordinals and inscriptions and being able to uh, basically inscribe, uh, you know, the, the rollup information into a Bitcoin transaction. And so, uh, you know, with rollups, you're able to, you know, essentially bring that execution into a different environment than the chain itself. And so uh, with uh, being able to bring inscriptions into Bitcoin, it, it enables essentially, you know, the possibility of rollups to be uh, on top of Bitcoin. And so it, it, it essentially enhances like the programmatic aspects of Bitcoin and being able to do that in an even uh, greater capacity. And so it's, um you know, it's, it's an area that I think, you know, I think there's been a couple like projects announced for like that are like working on it, but I think it's, it's very early in the days of actually bringing that into Bitcoin, but it is a, a very exciting uh, thing that, I, that we'll be watching closely. 
Yeah, absolutely. It makes me, it, it, uh, it brings another question to my mind, which is more on the, I guess, the culture side or the social layer of Bitcoin. Because we talked about how there's uh, resistance or skepticism on the uh, Web3 side as to whether these things are really going to be possible on Bitcoin or whether, uh, quote, everything's going to come back to Bitcoin eventually. But there's also skepticism on the Bitcoiner side, I think, where as some of these things come in, I mean, we saw it massively with ordinals where the Bitcoiners were like, oh, NFTs on Bitcoin, we don't want like that's such a frivolous use of Bitcoin block space. We don't want to see that at all. Um, and then now I'm um, talking about sovereign rollups and potentially using Bitcoin as a data availability layer. And I even read something about how it would be possible to run the Ethereum virtual machine on Bitcoin. I'm not sure if that would actually happen, but uh, but apparently it is possible. Um, but I could see a lot of resistance among Bitcoiners to that kind of thing as well, where, where um, not only is Bitcoin or not only is a lot of stuff from outside Bitcoin coming to Bitcoin, but actually in some ways Bitcoin may start to resemble uh, other blockchains a bit. Um, for example, in terms of issuing assets on top of Bitcoin. Do you think um, that there will be a lot of resistance to that? And uh, what's your perspective on, um, I guess, uh, how how open Bitcoiners should be to, to uh, innovation on top of Bitcoin versus um, trying to keep it uh, pretty similar to what it's looked like up until now. Yeah, well, that's, I think that we're, we're, we're seeing that in uh, some of like the ordinal stuff that's happening now and that uh, it's, it's very interesting because there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, people in the Bitcoin space that maybe don't like ordinals, they don't like, you know, all the things that are going on. But like at the end of the day, there's, there's not a lot, they can't do anything about it. Like they can't, you know, they can't stop it. They can't prevent people from using the block space for, for what they're doing. And that's, uh, that's one of the benefits of Bitcoin, frankly, is that, you know, it's not one person or one group of people that are deciding what's happening inside of the network. It's just, this is the network. These are the rules and you can do what you want inside of the rules. And so, um, so from that aspect, there's nothing, it kind of, it doesn't matter what people think about it or what they, uh, what their opinions are, because like the protocol is the protocol and like people can do what they want to do with it. Uh, and, but then I guess like to, to answer the question, like it's, I think that there will, there will always be, you know, opposition to kind of anything. There's people that want to see Bitcoin, like essentially have like a code freeze and never, you know, never evolve again, like only build it in layers and things like that. And so. I think that there will always be people that are resistant to change like that. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, like I said, there's nothing that they can really do to stop it. And so I think that um, the the market will speak for itself in terms of, you know, like even like all the ordinal things that are happening today, you know, it's a big kind of thing today. But like if if the, just the demand died out tomorrow, I mean, it would all go away. And like the, you know, the block space would, would you know, go back to the way it was and all of these things. So it's like, I think that the market will solve the problem and that, you know, if people want to use these things inside of Bitcoin, they will. And, you know, it will be there. And if they don't, they don't. And so uh, that's the ultimate thing is it's just they will be uh, that will be the deciding factor. And I think that that's uh, an amazing part of the protocol is that 
it doesn't matter about how much you disagree with it. Um, there's not really anything you can do to stop it. Yeah, it's it's quite a foreign concept, um, but uh, I think it's exciting to see what uh, when you do put something out into the wild that uh, um, that is uh, unstoppable and and permissionless to see what it uh, kind of evolves into. Uh, at the same time, hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully there won't be breaking changes or uh, changes that really go against the, the philosophy. But it, it seems like that, uh, like as far as the core tenants go, those are pretty um, set in stone. And uh, whether it's the node runners or the miners are pretty much on the same page about about the key things that uh, that need to remain part of the, the Bitcoin core software yeah yeah definitely no i i agree and um yeah it'll be interesting to see uh kind of what happens over the coming years yeah absolutely um on the topic of of uh culture so i i was actually just at um two events one was a was an eth gathering and then the other was uh, paris blockchain week which was just a much broader um conference uh, about all things web3 um, and related, um, but it was interesting to think about the uh, the cultures at these different meetups because um, I mean they are very different. I think each each chain kind of has its own culture, and of course, Bitcoin culture is pretty well known in the space. Um, Ethereum culture very different, um, and I think. On the one hand, it, it kind of doesn't matter. But on on the other hand, I think it, it does matter quite a bit in the sense that I think for most people, especially if you're not too technically minded, you tend to choose, uh, well, not choose, but what you believe ends up being a reflection of the the people you're around or the people that you enjoy being around or that you agree with much more than like a totally objective evaluation of the facts and and uh, which one is better. So do you have any thoughts on Bitcoin or culture and maybe how um, some of those aspects could uh, have, have turned people off and turned people towards um, more perhaps uh, accepting or seemingly accepting cultures? And uh, yeah, I guess just in general thoughts on um, like being very, being sticklers about uh, certain aspects of Bitcoin, which is important versus kind of being uh, kind of toxic and uh, turning people off from from Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it's a great point. And I think that there's, I think it's something that we've seen in the, like, in a lot of this, you know, the things with like ordinals again, is that um, I think that there's a lot of people that are, you know, very, very loud on Twitter and whatnot. And they're, um, they're, they, the, the ones that are loudest don't always represent, you know, the, the vast majority of the group. And that's something that I think I've really learned over the over, you know, since Ordinal's launching and things like that. So I think that uh, there is there there's a there's a group of people that, you know, that are very kind of, um, I guess, you know, toxic or they're very, uh, you know, resistant to change and all the, those types of things. But I think that ultimately they're they're more of the minority inside of Bitcoin than what people think. And so. Um, it's kind of, you know, I, I say this as, you know, working inside of Bitcoin for, for a while now and that I think that those people are definitely the minority and that you really just kind of got to uh, 
ignore them and you know start working inside of like the space and really just uh you'll be able to find kind of the the spot that makes the most sense so i think that um there is there is a level to the culture that is like that i mean i think that uh it's it, it wouldn't be talked about if it wasn't true right to to some extent and so um it's something that i don't you know i i don't necessarily uh enjoy and i think that um there's there's like it goes back to the spectrum thing, right? Of like, there's kind of like the spectrum of like, you know, where do you fall? And I think that there's um, the ones that are maybe the most hardcore are usually the, the, the minorities, even though they're, they're screaming the loudest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is, tends to be the case with a lot of communities. So uh, yeah, definitely understandable. Maybe we should uh, start trying to wrap up, but uh, I'm curious since you are a, a founder uh, and uh, a Bitcoin founder. Do you have any advice for other uh, aspiring founders or entrepreneurs, and especially um, why you would encourage them to build on Bitcoin rather than elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think that, um, I mean, I would just, I think the best advice is just to like, you know, start start working on something. If you're interested in, in a project or an idea, um, just, you know, just start doing it. Like, don't kind of wait for, you know, the perfect time or the perfect, you know, opportunity or something like that. Just really, um, I, I worked doing just open source projects for free for, I don't know, four or five years inside of Bitcoin before I kind of started a company. And so like, um, you know, don't be afraid to get involved in, in any, um, aspect or any part of the, uh of the, of the ecosystem and so there's a lot of opportunity to just contribute and i think that that's the best way to start and then uh you know just don't be afraid to start working on an idea and put it out there and get feedback um, i think that's the best way to really um figure out uh the validity of, of an idea is just to kind of put it out there and get some feedback from folks so i definitely recommend people uh doing that and then um i think that there's uh there's certainly a lot of opportunity inside of uh, building in, in Bitcoin. And I think that one of the very unique opportunities and why I would implore people to, uh, to build inside of Bitcoin specifically is that there's a lot of just um, untapped potential. I would say there's a lot of things that, you know, we know need to be solved or we know that there is possibilities, but you know, we just don't have, you know, there's not enough, you know, people working on like all these different things to fulfill all of them. So I think that there's a, we're at a, a very interesting turning point inside of the Bitcoin ecosystem where we're starting to kind of come out of this, like, you know, the, the pet rock stage. I never really subscribed to that, that, that idea, but uh, you know, we're kind of evolving out of like the pet rock stage and into more of a really um, robust programmable ecosystem. And so uh, with that comes, you know, a, a significant amount of possibility. So I think that there's a lot of areas um, for people to add value in. Absolutely. Uh, and is there anything that we haven't covered here or we haven't uh, covered enough that you'd like to uh, kind of mention here at the end? Um, man, no, I think that we've covered a lot. I think that just, um, you know, recommending to all to all the listeners out there to, I mean, one, check out Voltage, but then also check out like just uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem. Like, uh, you know, we're all coming from different, uh, you know, time timelines. You know, some of us are. 2012 some of those are 2017 some of us are just you know brand new to this and so uh ultimately i think that we all come from different angles we all come in from different chains all these different things but um i would definitely implore everyone to explore the lightning network i think that it has you know some significant potential and it can do um a lot 
uh, for the crypto ecosystem, for the greater, you know, financial system and for just the world at large. So I think that there's just um, a lot of opportunity inside of there. So definitely um, check out the network itself and like uh, learn more. And then I implore people to um, contribute, contribute to it in whatever ways that you can. And I think that when people usually have like a call to action for con contributions, people think like code, like go write software or something, but there's so many other opportunities out there besides just writing code inside of um, doing, you know, marketing or um, uh, design or, um, you know, documentation. There's so many other ways to get involved that are, you know, outside of coding. So I would definitely just recommend those that are, that are interested to go and um, explore and figure out ways that you can add value. Awesome. And is there anywhere specific you'd like to send listeners after this show to find out more about you or Voltage or anything that we've talked about? Yeah, definitely. I mean, myself, like I'm on Twitter at G Krizek, that's G-K-R-I-Z-E-K. -E um, Voltage is uh, our Twitter handle is at Voltage underscore cloud. Uh, website is Voltage.cloud. So definitely, yeah, check us out. Um, definitely. And like, feel free to DM me or email me. Um, I am uh, you know, very interested in either, you know, explaining things about the Lightning Network. Um, if you guys are interested in, um, you know, building something on Bitcoin, let me know. Or if you're just generally curious about, you know, Bitcoin or starting companies or anything like that, I definitely want to be a resource. So uh, definitely feel free to reach out for anyone out there. Awesome. Well, this was a, an incredible conversation, Graham. I, I learned a lot. And uh, yeah, I think our listeners did too. So thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was fun. And yeah, I look forward uh, to following you guys uh, as you continue to do these shows. Yeah. Hopefully we can have you back on because I, I feel like we touched on so many things, but uh, could have gone so much deeper. And of course, there's a bunch of stuff that we didn't even touch on. I know it's, uh, you know, we could be doing these all day long. Okay. What'd you think of that? By the end, I was kind of just throwing out different concepts I'd heard recently, and Graham graciously explained them and what implications they could have. And since this conversation is a few months old, many of the things we mentioned have come a long way since then. Like I said at the start, Thunder had an exciting announcement recently, and the Noster community is gearing up for their second conference simultaneously in Tokyo and Hong Kong, so don't miss those if you're anywhere nearby. Despite all the progress, a lot of this still feels very new, but the ramifications seem massive. How does the ability to transact globally, unstoppably, and instantaneously disrupt finance, energy, mobile gaming, social media? We'll keep diving into that in the coming weeks, so follow this show so you don't miss an episode, and if you'd like to help me out, a rating or review or sharing this episode with a friend would really go a long way. In any case, let me know what you thought. Thank you so much for listening, and talk to you again soon. GM Radio.